Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing energy matters in an informal setting. In today's pod, we're talking about the weather. This year has seen some dramatic weather patterns. Rivers have been at record lows. We've seen some incredible footage of the River Po, the Rhine, and further afield, the Mississippi. We've also seen floods, fires, and devastation wrought by natural forces, which have brought home the reality of man-made climate change. We'll discuss changes in the weather, both long and short term, and especially the outlook for the coming winter. Will we see a return of the beast from the east? Or will we be saved by mild weather in January and February? I'm Richard Sverison, and helping me discuss these issues is Amy Hodgson, meteorologist at AG2. A warm welcome to you, Amy. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me on the podcast. So this year, as I, as I mentioned in the intro, I mean, we've seen droughts, we've seen floods, heat waves, temperatures over 50 degrees, you know, very, very low river levels. Are these kind of weather patterns something we need to plan for, get used to, expect even? Yes. Yeah, so as we're in um, a warming world nowadays with climate change, um, we are seeing these more extreme events. As you mentioned, over this past summer, we've seen record temperatures across the globe, particularly across Europe, we saw over the summer, record-breaking highs, drought conditions. And that's something that we'll continue to monitor as we move into the winter, for example, a drought, whether that's likely to continue or not. But definitely these extreme weather conditions are becoming more and more common as we're in this warmer world than we were a few years ago, definitely. Mm. I mean, let's let's move on to the the shorter term outlook. Um, what what is your sort of forecast now for the for the coming weeks and and months, Amy? Yeah, so at the moment we're seeing these very mild conditions widely across Europe. Many areas are seeing temperature anomalies five to eight degrees above normal for the time of year. Some places as high as eight to twelve degrees above normal for the time of year. Um, so in terms of maximum temperatures over the next few days through the rest of October. Some parts of northern Spain, for example, reaching into the low 30s. Um, we're seeing high teens to, to low 20s across the British Isles, which is enormously warm for the time of year. And the overall pattern that's bringing these very mild conditions, we're seeing high pressure across much of the mainland Europe and lower pressure in the vicinity of the British Isles. So this is driving this very mild southwesterly airflow bring in these widely warm conditions. As we move through into next week as well, we're expecting these mild conditions to continue. Once again, seeing this west to southwesterly airflow and these low pressure systems start to move from the British Isles towards southern Scandinavia. So we've got fairly high confidence that over the next couple of weeks, these warm temperatures are going to continue. And the exact details of the pressure pattern where these areas of, of low pressure are moving to, there's slightly lower confidence. Overall, in terms of winds for renewables, we're expecting moderate to high wind power generation for the UK. Germany, over the next couple of days into the beginning of next week, on the lower side. Um, but then as we move through from mid next week onwards, northern mainland Europe, we expect to start to see these winds pick up to, to more moderate levels for the time of year. So, so renewables across northern mainland expected to, to start to increase. Um, so windier conditions starting to move in there. Precip overall, precipitation over the next couple of weeks. Um, with this higher pressure across the mainland, we're expecting dry conditions, particularly across southern areas of Europe, southeastern areas of Europe. Um, we've seen those drought conditions there. So we're expecting further dry conditions across mainland Europe. Um, the UK to southern Scandinavia, 
precipitation totals um, expected to be wet at times, so as these areas of low pressure move from the British Isles towards Scandinavia, we start to see an increase in precip there. So yeah, overall dry conditions across the mainland, it looks like the UK towards southern Scandinavia start to see wetter conditions um, as we move through the next week or so. In terms of um, hydropower, both production from sort of reservoirs and, and, and river levels, run of river plants, what what does the sort of coming two weeks, what does, have, what does that have in store? Will there be some respite? Will they, we see res, reservoirs filling and, and increased production from, from run of river uh, output? Yeah, so I think across the British Isles and Scandinavia, we've got higher confidence of, of precipitation there. It's more across the mainland where there's slightly lower confidence in the exact details of the pattern and how far south these areas of low pressure will move into the mainland Europe. Um, so across the Alps, for example, we are expecting um, precip to, to start to increase through next week as these lows sink slightly further south. Um, but it is lower confidence across the mainland compared to the UK and Scandinavia, I would say. So we could start to see some respite across the UK and Scandi. Mm-hmm. That's probably good news. So for those who have been very, very nervous about the the, the coming winter and the, the very low uh, hydro stocks, uh, certainly in in the Nordic region, but also uh, these low levels in the Alps. So that's those are probably quite uh, welcome words there, Amy. But um, if we move to to the medium term, so if we go into November, perhaps even into December as well, um, uh, w- what's your outlook there? Yeah, so um, when we're, we're looking at the medium term, um, the ECMWF weekly forecast, so that comes out twice a week. Um, the last one came out on Monday evening. Um, so for the mid to end of November timeframe, um, it does still, still forecast higher than normal temperatures across Europe. So still mild conditions expected to continue, but lower in the magnitude of that warmth compared to what we're seeing at the moment. So still mild, but at the moment it's forecast to not quite be as strong in that warmth. Um, So the main trend as we move through the second half of November is that northwest Europe may start to see more of a a west to northwesterly airflow rather than this southwesterly that we're seeing at the moment. So still mild, still above normal, but just the magnitude's not quite as high as we move through um, the end of November. Is it possible to say anything about, you know, wind? I mean, that's obviously the further away we get, you know, the, the projected wind output, uh, the accuracy of those kind of forecasts diminishes. But what is, a, is it just sort of average for the time of year, would you say? Or is it, uh, is it possible to be more specific? Yeah, so if we look at the ECM weekly in terms of precipitation, for example, so as we move through the second half of November, it does look like precip may start to, to decrease across western areas of Europe so that the week four time frame, which is the week of the 14th of November, the latest ECM weekly there, started to show some drier conditions moving back in across mainland Europe, particularly western Europe, with any precip likely to be across the, the far northeast of Europe. So scan- far north of Scandinavia may also see some wetter conditions there in terms of wind power generation through the second half of November. It does look like after this bella of windier conditions to begin the month, we'll start to see those winds drop out again through this, the second half of November based on that latest ECM weekly. So it is like the first half of November, wetter and windier conditions as we move through the second half of November. 
possibly things turning a little bit more settled um, and those winds dropping out um, and the precip starting to, to become lower as well through the second half of November. Mm. Excellent. I mean, you mentioned the ECM Weekly. Could you sort of explain to the listeners what that's all about and if there are other similar models out there? Yeah, so the ECMWF is, is the European model. We also have the GFS model, which is the American model. So ECM Weekly updates twice a week and it's the medium-term forecast so it goes out weeks three four and five um so that's something that we, that we look out for more of the medium term in terms of the shorter term it's usually the next 15 days where we have the ec the gfs um, ensemble models that, that look out the next 15 days that's a sort of foundation for your forecast and, and your outlook right yeah so they're the, the main two global models that that meteorologists will look at there are other models as well as the, the Canadian model that we sometimes use as well, but it's usually the, the ECMWF and, and the GFS models that we utilize the most. Excellent. I mean, I, I think, Amy, I'd like a lot of the talk over the the wind, or the, the last few months, basically since uh, since the spring, really, centers on the outlook for winter, you know, and, and in terms of the energy market outlook. So, you know, you hear very often, a mild winter, we'll be very lucky. Uh, if we if temperatures start to dip or we get perhaps a beast from the east, then we're in trouble. It, it, could you say something more about the seasonal outlook and uh, the likelihood of a very cold snap uh, early next year? Yeah, so as you mentioned, I think weather is going to be critical this winter in terms of the energy markets. And seasonal forecasting is one of the, the trickier sides of meteorology. We consider a large range of different drivers to the forecast. A few examples of the things that we'll start to look at is La Nina or El Nino as we head into the winter, sudden stratospheric warming events as well. So for example, the beast from the east in, in 2018 was, was caused by a sudden stratospheric warming event. We'll also consider the, the likelihood of, of high latitude blocking, so that could bring in cold conditions and another index, for example, is the, the North Atlantic Oscillation. So that's another index that, that we'll look at as we head into winter. Um, and that can give us indications of um, either a warmer or a colder um, skew to winter. So they're the main drivers that, that we generally look at for our seasonal forecasting. Excellent. Could you could you go through each of those and what, what the outlook is or, or the impact of, for example, I mean, there's a lot of talk of La Nina at the moment. Uh, how, how could that affect weather patterns uh, in early next year and, and what kind of impact could that have on, on the energy markets? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if we start with La Nina and El Nino and, and first of all, describe what that actually means and what that's ha how that happens. Yeah, so El Nino and La Nina describe the state of the, the sea surface temperatures in the equatorial Pacific. So during El Nino, we generally see warmer than normal sea surface temperatures in the central and eastern equatorial Pacific. And then during La Nina episodes, we'll see cooler than normal sea surface temperatures here. And these cycles, they tend to occur every three to five years and usually last around nine to 12 months but they can last four years. And they usually do re reach peak intensity during the December to April timeframe. And therefore, the, the impacts to the weather are most noticeable during the winter months. So in terms of, um, you might have heard the phrase El Nino Southern Oscillation, or ENSO. And that's the term that's used for the atmospheric pressure changes that accompany both El Nino and La Nina. 
And as you mentioned, this can have global impacts on the weather. So in terms of what's happening at the moment, so we're currently in a fairly robust La Nina signal. So these cooler than normal sea surface temperatures in the equatorial Pacific, while there's a classic warmer pool of water across Indonesia. And it's quite unusual. We're actually in the third consecutive La Nina event. And this is only the the third time since records began that we've had three consecutive La Nina events. The last time that this happened, um, so the last three-year event was between 1998 and 2000. So we are in a a triple-dip La Nina, you may have have heard it termed. So during La Nina events, as we've mentioned before, we see warmer than normal water near Indonesia. That drives more thunderstorms than usual. And the extra heat released from this impacts the North Pacific jet stream. And then in such a way that favours a ridge across the North Pacific. So it has knock-on effects on the, on the global weather um, and it teleconnects to patterns across Asia and, and also across Europe. So this is why we, we monitor it for the impacts of the European um, weather pattern. Now, I do want to stress that the signal um, in Europe is weaker than the US and Asia, but it's something that we still monitor as it can have impacts for Europe. Perfect. Uh- so what if we can go into some of the potential impacts then both I mean in in northeast Asia would it lead to cooler weather warmer weather and 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 what would be the sort of demand for LNG for example in China Korea Japan Yeah so in terms of a La Nina signal across the US for example that usually means um colder western Canada and northern US and a warmer southwestern and southeastern areas of the US. In terms of the impacts across Asia, overall, we're expecting near to slightly below normal temperatures across the, the major population centers of northeastern Asia. So the typical La Nina impacts across Asia are generally for, for colder northeast Asia um, in the winter. So that's the impact for the US and Asia. So we've taken a look back at the previous two years of La Nina. So we are in the third year of La Nina. So the previous two years have quite contrasting patterns in terms of the weather pattern across Europe. So for example, winter 2020 to 2021, we had this high over low type pattern across Europe and this cold easterly continental flow across Northern Europe. So 20 to 21 was more of a, a negative North Atlantic Oscillation, which we can come on to explain in a moment. But overall, it, it was um, a cooler continental flow across Europe. So that allowed colder air to descend across northern areas of Europe. That was actually also linked to a sudden stratospheric warming event. So we can come on to that in a moment as well. But overall, 20 to 21 was a cooler type pattern for Europe. In stark contrast to that last year, so the winter of, of 21 to 22, had this low over high type pattern across Europe. So it was um, a warm and wet westerly flow. It was a positive North Atlantic oscillation and it was fairly windy across Europe and we lacked um, a sudden stratospheric warming event. So quite contrasting patterns, even though we were in La Nina for both years and the actual pattern across Europe was, was fairly different. So in terms of this year, are we likely to see, I mean, is it likely to be like 2021 or 2022? you know, 2022 or, you know, somewhere in between? Last year's winter was more of a, a typical La Nina response. So this, this low over high type pattern. 
so more of a, a milder westerly airflow across Europe is more typical than what we're expecting for this year. But if we do see any higher latitude blocking, so higher pressure across northern areas, this can throw a spanner in the works and we could see some some colder episodes then as well. But, you know, maybe you know, there's more likelihood of a warmer mild weather or maybe we're just uh, hoping and praying for that kind of winter in the, in the current uh, energy crisis. Um, you also mentioned two other sort of key elements here, Amy. Could we start by talking about the first one? And can you explain a little bit more about the North Atlantic Oscillation and why that is uh, also crucial in looking at uh, the more sort of seasonal weather patterns? Yeah, so, so the North Atlantic Oscillation, or, or NAO for short, is used to describe the, the pressure pattern across the North Atlantic. So it, it describes the, the relative changes in the pressure between the Greenland-Iceland area and the Azores. And this acts to change both the intensity and location of the North Atlantic jet stream. So this is critical for, for European weather. So in a, a positive NAO state, we usually see stronger than normal pressure difference between Greenland and the Azores. So winds generally from the west dominate. So that brings a mild, windy and wet pattern across northern Europe in this positive state. And it brings cooler and drier conditions um, across southern Europe. So in contrast to that, when we see more of a a negative NAO, we see this weaker than normal pressure difference between Greenland and the Azores. So we see more high latitude blocking and winds generally come more from the east and northeast, which can bring colder air, lower winds and and generally drier conditions. So there has been a a clear long term trend more towards positive NAO states um, over the last few decades. So towards more wetter and windier, warmer winters across the north. Um, and we've actually looked back at, at the 10 most extreme positive and negative NAO winters. And we do start to see a clear divergence in the NAO index during the last few days of November, heading into December. And that can impact what it means for winter. So. At present, we're at the end of October. It's a little bit too early to to think about this. But the NAO is something that we'll continue to monitor over the next month or so, as we've seen this reasonable correlation between the November NAO and what that means for the the winter NAO in general. So it's one index that that we do keep a close eye on with a negative NAO could start to indicate maybe some some cooler conditions um, across northern areas of Europe. Okay, so we won't really have a, you will have a more, much better indication when we get into the end of November. Is that what you're, you're saying then, I mean? Yeah, so end of November, usually we start to see, um, if we start to see it trending negative or positive, it could give some indications for what that means for the NAO, for the winter as a whole. So we've seen some reasonable correlations between that time frame and winter as a whole. You've also talked about sort of sudden stratospheric warming events, which, uh, you know, leads to the, the beast from the east. I mean, is, um, for, for, as an example, um, could you, you know, what, what's the outlook here for, 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 the, for the coming three months, early next year, that kind of uh, the winter period? Yeah, so sudden stratospheric warming events, what actually happens when these occur? So it's when the, the stratospheric polar vortex is disrupted. So this can either be when it's displaced off the, the pole or when the, the vortex is completely split into two. And this leads to a massing, massive warming event at the pole. And then the impacts gradually work their way downwards with time 
um, and that, that can impact surface weather and often leads to colder weather in the mid-latitudes of the Northern Hemisphere. So this is what happened in the, the beast from the East in 2018. And on average, they occur in around 60% of, of Northern Hemispheric winters. And they usually occur in the New Year timeframe. So we've not had an SSW event earlier than December the 31st since 1998. So it's usually as we head into January, February timeframe that, that we, we see these events happen. So yet yeah, the 2018 beast from the East, that was caused by a sudden stratospheric warming. So that occurred in February, and we started to see this warm warming in the stratosphere descend through the atmosphere over the following weeks. And, and five weeks after that SSW occurred, we then saw these surface impacts on this strong easterly flow across Europe. And in terms of, of forecasting these events, so you can usually see indications of an SSW in the models two to three weeks ahead of time, and then it takes three to five weeks to impact the surface weather. Um, so that's the kind of time frame we can we can start to see whether we're likely to get one or not. So as we move through December is, is the time frame we'll really start to monitor the models and see if there are any indications of that. But I'd like to stress also that even if we do get an SSW, it doesn't guarantee a cold spell across Europe. We could see that cold either across um, North America or Asia. It does favour the colder outcomes in general, but the exact location of where that cold will be in the Northern Hemisphere is a little bit more uncertain. Fascinating stuff, um, Amy. I think it, it, it's very interesting here. And, uh, you know, but if I can, you know, ask you about to sort of summarise your, your view for the winter. I mean, I know it's early days, but how, how likely is a beast from the east looking at it from, from current, uh, current conditions? Yeah, so so in terms of forecasting SSW as well, something that we also monitor is something called the, the QBO, the quasi-biennial oscillation. And that is um it's a natural oscillation of the stratospheric winds at the equator. And they're either in a westerly phase or an easterly phase, and they usually oscillate every two to three years. So when we're in the easterly phase of the QBO, low latitude and um, stratospheric winds oppose the inherently westerly winds in the higher latitudes, and that can slow or weaken the vortex, um, which can then lead to an SSW. So that's when we're in the easterly phase of the QBO. When we're in the westerly phase, research has shown that we're slightly less susceptible to an SSW compared to an easterly QBO. So at the moment, we are in more of a westerly phase, um, and we think essentially it's coin flip this year as to whether we'll have an SSW event. Um, so it's it's kind of a 50-50. Um, but as I mentioned before, we'll we'll continue to monitor this, particularly from December onwards, um, to see if we're we're likely to to see an SSW. So it's a little bit early to say at the moment. But that's um it's a 50% chance uh, that it could go either way. So you know I, I think there's some hope there anyway, Amy, but uh you know, fingers crossed that we will be be saved by by a mild winter, or, or that a, a that a stratospheric um, a sudden stratospheric warming event won't won't lead to another beast from the east. As, as if I understand you correctly, it doesn't necessarily have to to lead to a, a, a very um, <clears throat> cold injection of of, of weather in, in continental Europe uh, beyond. It increases the chances, but it's not a definite dead set. Excellent. So. 
Here's here's hoping for for a wet and, and mild winter, Amy. That will save us from uh, you know amid this uh, energy crisis and and for you know for for households and industry uh, across Europe. But Amy, thank you very much for being a guest on the Montel Weekly Podcast this week. Thank you very much for that, Richard. I appreciate your time. So, listeners, you can now follow the podcast on our own Twitter account, aptly named the Montel Weekly Podcast. Please direct message any suggestions questions or you know let us know if you if you think you have a good idea for a guest on the show you can also send us an email to podcast at montelnews.com lastly remember to keep up to date with all that's happening in energy markets on montel news you can subscribe on apple podcasts and spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from thank you and goodbye